0: You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. A lot of work to do this year and a lot to talk about today, of course. We had this uh, major issue. No more Benghazis in Iran. The uh, attack on, on the Iranian number two leader uh, by the president of the United States uh, is just a, a major development. I'll talk about that and its ties to Benghazi. Uh, plus we have this, uh, new data showing dirty voting rules across the nation, judicial branch taking strong action on that. And on top of that, we have two new lawsuits about the, uh, activities of the alleged whistleblower, the so-called whistleblower, who I don't think is really a whistleblower. Uh, I'll give you some more information on that as well, even as the coup attack on the president continues. So a lot to cover today. Uh, First up, though, is the breaking news of the uh, uh, killing, the military strike that has taken out uh, a major terrorist leader out of Iran, uh, General Soleimani, who had flown into Baghdad to uh, evidently follow up on the uh, uh, attack on our embassy in Baghdad that took place earlier this week. And Soleimani and another top, Iranian front leader, uh, front leaders actually, two other terrorists, and others were taken out uh, by a uh, strike by the U.S. military at the orders of the President of the United States, Donald Trump. Now, of course, the left is very much agitated by this. As I've long said, long observed, the the organized left is uh, controlled by advocates for terrorists. Now, do I mean they're terrorists? No. Do I mean they advocate terrorism? No. But I mean they're always out there defending and uh, trying to protect terrorists from justice. And in this case, the United States acted in self-defense in the sense that Soleimani was allegedly involved in planning additional actions against U.S. interests in Iraq. Specifically, there had been a prior attack that led to uh, the death of at least one American most recently. And then, of course, you had the attack on Baghdad, uh, our embassy in Baghdad, and evidently he was there to plan more attacks. So uh, there was an act of self-defense. But on top of that, he had been as the leader of the Iranian version, the terrorist version of uh, what would be the equivalent of our CIA and Special Operations Forces, but imagine the terrorist spin on all of that. Uh, Soleimani had been responsible for the deaths of hundreds, if not thousands, of American soldiers in the Iraq War. Uh, Remember all those IEDs and such that were blowing our soldiers up? They were pretty much all done courtesy of uh, Soleimani's, um, uh, Soleimani's operators. Uh, on top of that, he's responsible for death and destruction across the Middle East uh, in South America. And, in fact, he had tried to blow up a, 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 an opponent in, uh, here in Washington, D.C. I think they had tried to hire one of the Mexican drug cartels to plant a bomb in a restaurant uh, to take out someone, and that attack was averted. But despite all of his uh, terrorist activities, and he was a designated terrorist, he uh, was uh, more or less given, uh, he was protected by the establishment here. Uh, there were plenty of opportunities uh, during both the Bush and Obama administrations uh, to kill him and uh, to protect and defend America, but it wasn't, they weren't taken. And there were always reasons for not doing it, and tactical decisions and political reasons for not doing it. Uh, but the president, being the type of president he is, uh... saw that this man had been responsible for an attack on our embassy and uh... was planning additional attacks and so he defended the united states by taking him out uh, the left is going crazy uh... because there are two elements you have the leftists uh... again advocacy on behalf of terrorists like Suleimani, and then you have the anti-american strain of the left which uh, almost instinctively reacts against any U.S. efforts to defend itself, militarily or otherwise. And then you have this uh, uh, kind of an amalgam of the two is the Obama administration's uh, or the former Obama administration's um, uh, leadership, many of whom are still embedded in the bureaucracies, who were uh, big advocates of Uh, this Iranian nuclear deal that showed, uh, that saw billions of dollars go to uh, the terrorist leaders in Iran, as represented by Soleimani, and uh, they saw their negotiating partners taken out, essentially, yesterday by the President of the United States. So they're outraged because that nuclear deal, which was uh, uh, probably terrible foreign policy, uh, also, uh, they had so much invested in it, uh, even though it... Uh, saw us kowtowing to the Iranians and to terrorists and subsidizing our enemies in ways that uh, few Americans supported. Uh, actually, something that even split Democrats. Even Democrats are unhappy with the Iranian nuke deal uh, that the president has uh, backed away from. Uh, but this was a significant difference than the way the Obama administration handled the Benghazi attack. Because uh, what what I find very interesting is after this... Uh, attack on our embassy that thankfully saw no americans killed you had the left gleefully saying well this is just like benghazi this is trump's benghazi and uh... and of course uh... it's nothing like benghazi in the sense that uh... A, uh... that there were no lies about the circumstances of the attack we all knew what was going on if there were any lies about the circumstances of the of the attack on the embassy Uh, It was from the media that was suggesting that it was organic, kind of like what Obama did about uh, Benghazi, suggesting there were protests, when in fact there were real no protests. This was an Iranian operation to attack our embassy in response to uh, our bombing of uh, certain locations because of their attack on us. So the Iranians have been escalating this fight with the United States forces there in Iraq and uh, uh, this was part of that uh, back and forth. On top of that you had um, the Obama administration again lie uh, about uh, the circumstances of the attack and then didn't provide the support necessary to defend our interests in Benghazi. Obviously that's not the case here in Baghdad. We had the president uh, deploy additional troops almost immediately and uh... then take out those responsible within days uh... so that's a big difference but i want to call attention more to the benghazi uh... issue because now the left media is talking about benghazi and comparing it and contrasting it to baghdad in a fundamental this fundamentally dishonest way uh, benghazi was uh... judicial watches uh, one of judicial Watch's most significant investigations we uncovered the white house obama white house involvement in the big lie of that a video and uh... made them do it when in fact it was an organized and planned terrorist attack uh... It didn't arise from spontaneous protests in response to a video uh... they knew that at the time yet they can they lied about it we have the documents from the white house uh, that show the White House was pushing that lie. It wasn't quote intelligence, it was a political decision by the Obama White House to try to spin the Benghazi attack in a way that would reflect favorably on Barack Obama, that he was taking, uh, that it wasn't his fault, and that uh, uh, he couldn't be blamed for the attack that led to the death of a U.S. ambassador first time that it happened probably in a generation i think the last ambassador that had been killed in action was our ambassador in afghanistan uh, during the carter administration so uh the lies about benghazi were about protecting two presidential candidates the obviously the reelection campaign of president obama was going on at the time he didn't want that uh news of that terrorist attack uh to get out the full truth to interfere with his election and of course at the time hillary clinton we didn't know this directly Uh, was considering running for president as well. So she had her legacy to protect as she was prepping her uh, uh, run for the presidency to succeed uh, Barack Obama. So hence you had the Benghazi lies. But the specifics of what, what happened with Benghazi are really outrageous, and I'm glad I'm having the opportunity to talk about this again because Judicial Watch exposed, pretty much uh, like most major scandals going on here in Washington, D.C., Judicial Watch exposed the full truth about Benghazi in the ways that either the Congress was unable to, and frankly has still been unable to, uh, and that the media wasn't interested in doing. We exposed, for instance, that uh, there were multiple warnings uh, that the special mission compound in Benghazi was going to be attacked, uh, all of which were ignored. Uh, did you know, for instance, that our uh, local protecting force, we, would, we had basically um, outsourced protecting uh, the compound to uh, local militias, uh, They had quit and they had no we had no local security practically speaking, on the day of the attack? Because they knew something was coming because there had been prior attacks on the special mission compound. On top of that, of course, it occurred on September 11th, 2012, which is an indication of why, uh, uh, what the motive was, even though uh, it was, <laughs> and made it even more laughable, uh, the lie that uh, terrorists weren't behind it. Uh, so they were warned, and then once the attack occurred, you have to remember there were two attacks. You had the initial attack on the special mission compound And then about a mile or so away was a CIA annex, Uh, and uh, that attack occurred several hours later, and two special operators, two former, um, I think they were two former CIA guys who were acting as contractors, were killed. Well, as as, uh, immediately after the first round of attacks occurred, our military said, we've got stuff ready to go. We're spinning up and it's ready to go. And of course if they had been deployed when offered, they could have gotten there in time. It's pretty clear to defend and protect and maybe save the lives of at least two of the victims of Benghazi. Now Judicial Watch uncovered that document. Congress outrageously had uncovered the document, had been sitting on it for a year and the public only found out about it after we uncovered it thanks to a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit. So the fact is that we had the ability to save lives in Benghazi, and Judicial Watch proved uh, that the Obama administration uh, delayed and uh, the deployment of resources there to protect lives. And even worse, well, I shouldn't say even worse, because this is kind of just, to make matters worse, even after the attacks took place, as long as six hours after the attack, we still didn't have enough assets there to get our people out. They had one plane available, and they, they evacuated some personnel. Other personnel had to remain in Benghazi along with some of the dead. And finally, some we got a, a Libyan government plane to take our people out. Isn't that outrageous? So, the next time you hear Trump's Benghazi, you'll see that in President Trump's actions in quickly deploying forces, taking out the bad guys, there's nothing in comparison to what actually went on in Benghazi. And as you recall, there was no retaliatory strikes. Nothing was done. We sent the FBI there uh, I think weeks after the attack. So after, after the locals had gone through uh, the site, who knows what was lost. Just a terrible, terrible outrage. And the, ironically, it was because of our investigations into Benghazi, our FOIA lawsuits, did we find out about the Clinton email scandal. So, uh, and just recently we uncovered that, yes, they were hiding Clinton emails about Benghazi. And that was one of the reasons. It looks like to us that uh, we didn't—they um, uh, were hesitant to tell us about the Clinton emails because they knew there were Benghazi materials in there. So it was just a, an unholy mess in Benghazi. It's a, still a major scandal, and outrageously, the State Department and the Justice Department—I've told you this before—are still sending lawyers to court to stop down our inqu- to, to try to stop our inquiries into questions about the ties between the Benghazi scandal and the Clinton email issue. Can you believe it? Just two weeks ago we were in federal court, Uh, we still are in discovery thanks to a federal court who wants to know whether there are ties between the uh, Benghazi scandal and the desire to cover up potentially embarrassing material. And the State Department's and Justice Department's misleading and gaming and lying and obstructing and covering up Hillary Clinton's emails. So we're trying to get more answers on that. And the government sends, the State Department and Justice Department sends six fed- federal lawyers to court to try to stop us from having that, those answers uh, answered, those questions answered, excuse me. So the left is upset the president is defending our interests. The left is upset a terrorist was taken out, a terrorist responsible for a contagion of violence throughout the Middle East. And, um, and the, But they're happy, seemingly, and it seems to me they're rooting for uh, retaliation by the Iranians. It's just crazy. And one thing that Judicial Watch is doing, in addition to, obviously, with our uh, Benghazi investigations, which, as I say, are ongoing, we've been trying to get information out of the administration about this shady Iranian deal, this nuke deal that, showed, that's so, that saw cash being dishonestly dispersed to Iran, <coughs> prisoner releases, things like that. And of course, we've been stonewalled by the deep state. And I keep on saying this, and I'll say it again because it's worth repeating. President Trump should order full disclosure on these Obama-era scandals. I don't understand why the agencies don't do it. The Treasury Department, Defense Department, State Department, they have all of the dirt on this Obama uh, abuse of power and scandals and controversies, and getting information out of them is uh, as difficult as it's ever been the president should just go on a transparency tear on these issues. (coughs) So um, as the left roots for retaliation strikes by Iran, uh, I suspect uh, the president uh, did a good, uh, as made our uh, made our uh, position more secure in the Middle East and here at home by saying no to these terrorists. Uh, in a way that they, I think, only understand, meaning you'll get killed if you attack the United States and try to kill us. It's a pretty simple response in many ways. Now, of course, the left is trying to complicate it by suggesting the president doesn't know what he's doing. Well, these are the guys who didn't know what they were doing. One of the aspects of Benghazi that the media doesn't want to tell you about that, of course, we uncovered, it's perhaps our most important disclosure, is that uh, out of Benghazi, arms were flowing into the Syria conflict, and we were supporting terrorists. We knew it. We have a Defense Intelligence Agency report that describes Western support, for the terrorists battle, battling Assad. Terrorists. We were supporting them. And we were being warned at the time, our DIA people were being warned, were warning us that al-Qaeda was, uh, had the potential, uh, not al-Qaeda, excuse me, ISIS had the potential to come in there and take advantage of the situation there and establish a caliphate, which is exactly what happened. All of this was tied to Benghazi. We have documents showing the Obama administration was very much aware of the arms being shipped to the Syrians, or the so-called rebels, i.e. the terrorists. And the level of detail suggests that either they were doing it or were in a position to stop it from happening. Obama and Hillary Clinton's efforts in Libya resulted in a vacuum. They they allowed Gaddafi to be murdered. And it turned Libya into a way station for the jihadist efforts in Syria. And who rushed to Syria's defense? Soleimani, the Iranians. So we start supporting al-Qaeda to go after Assad. ISIS comes in, starts going after everybody. The Iranians come in, support Assad, start attacking ISIS. What a mess. All created by Obama. All made worse by their efforts in Libya and exposed By the Benghazi attack. And we know about this, again, not to toot our own horn, but thanks to Judicial Watch. And I'm I'm glad the President took this strong action, and uh, uh, hundreds of Americans were murdered by this guy, both directly and indirectly, and uh, it's well past time uh, that he met justice. You know, you may not know this, but you should. the ringleader for the 9-11 attacks, still hasn't faced trial. He's still down in Gitmo, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, KSM. He's still down there. So it's good to see justice met out to the terrorists the way it ought have been, or the way it should have been. Uh, but um, so next up is uh, the, other cons- the other crisis, Uh, the crisis of the coup, which is continuing against the President of the United States. Uh, Nothing's happened uh, in terms of the House uh, doing as uh, justice requires, which is moving, uh, however fraudulent, the impeachment articles to the Senate. Uh, The way it works is the House has the uh, uh, power under the Constitution to handle impeachment, so power of impeachment. And the Senate has the sole power to try impeachment. Well, Nancy Pelosi has decided that that power of impeachment uh, applies to uh, suppressing the House, uh, suppressing the Senate's ability to try uh, the impeachment articles as voted on by the House, and the Senate's rules uh, envision the House managers or the House bringing over. The impeachment articles, reading them and exhibiting them to the Senate, and the Senate just proceeding. But Nancy Pelosi's tried to upend the Senate, expanded the coup to the Senate to try to get a show trial of the President of the United States. So, what's happened? Nothing. Mitch McConnell has decided that, you know, if they don't want to move it over, well, we're not going to do anything. I would take a different approach. I think the Senate should assert jurisdiction, change the rules and just acknowledge the impeachment that's taken place and then proceed as they see fit now how should they proceed that's what the big fight is today you had the senate working on a friday believe it or not you know it doesn't happen that often so mark your calendars the senate worked on a friday they were in session today and essentially what mitch mcconnell proposes is they do what they did during the clinton impeachment which by the way was not a perfect impeachment trial one way in terms of getting the full Uh, nature of what Clinton did, Uh, but it was an impeachment process that was designed to uh, not embroil the Senate in some uh, crazed trial that went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And so what uh, McConnell suggests, they follow the rules of the Clinton impeachment trial, which is to have presentations by both sides and then decide whether or not to bring any witnesses in. Uh, with the understanding, I would, pres- I would presume by McConnell, and I would think the president, that you know, that it gets shut down after introductory remarks or introductory arguments. Now, Schumer doesn't want any of that. He wants another show trial. He wants to continue to abuse the president along with Pelosi-Schiff. Uh, they want to bring in witnesses that they you know, pretend they need to make the case in order to harass the president. Uh, they obviously don't want any witnesses coming in uh, that are pro-Trump. So I suspect what will happen is if a trial goes forward, and I don't think a trial should go forward, and I'll tell you why in a minute, that there will be only anti-Trump witnesses because that's the way the Senate is. They're afraid of taking on uh, uh, the coup cabal. They're afraid of taking on the establishment. And... Uh, Unfortunately for Mitch McConnell, and, and tactically uh, he uh, is going to see that he doesn't have the votes to get pro-Trump witnesses in there, but only anti-Trump witnesses. I think that's what's going to happen if it goes to a full-blown trial. And I've suggested that the alternative is to give the president a chance to make his case that there's been prosecutorial misconduct and there should be no full-blown Senate trial by having a preliminary hearing in the Senate as part of the impeachment trying process. But as with other trials, uh, you can have preliminary hearings. If there's prosecutorial misconduct or other conduct by one of the parties, the court can hear that before they decide how to handle the rest of the case. That should be done with President Trump. President Trump should be allowed to bring in people like Adam Schiff, the alleged whistleblower, and others involved in the prosecutorial misconduct and abuse of the president in the House. I don't think the House, who is engaged in a coup process, should get the benefit of their corruption with a further abusive trial of the President. I just don't think that should be the case. Because I guarantee you, if a trial goes forward, if a full trial goes forward, it's not going to be the way President Trump and his supporters uh, want. There is a majority, to make President Trump's life miserable. Doesn't mean he'll be removed from office. But there isn't a majority for the rule of law and exposed to truth. I mean, one element of the President's defense, it would be, he had a good faith, base, good faith basis for raising questions about the Ukrainian money. And how, do, how is it you explain that? You bring in witnesses like Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and other people who are concerned about Ukrainian corruption. You might even bring in the Ukrainians. You think the Senate's is going to allow that? Of course not. So if you're not going to get justice, why would you give the benefit to the kukubal of a full trial? You're only going to hear one side ultimately on witnesses. Maybe, maybe things will change. Maybe, maybe Mitch McConnell will get the majority to give the president a chance to bring on some witnesses. But, you know, I just don't see that happening. I just don't see that happening. What I do see happening is a majority abusing the president of the United States. And so uh, if I were the president, I would be demanding that the Senate reject a full-blown trial. Uh, to the degree it tries anyone in the Senate, Adam Schiff be it, should be at the center, But we'll see what happens. And this is something that, uh, well, and of course, that's assuming a trial goes forward in the sense that they've taken the steps necessary to bring the impeachment articles into the Senate or for the Senate to acknowledge their jurisdiction. I think they already have the jurisdiction. It's just a matter of the political will to acknowledge it and change the rules so they can proceed. Even as we speak, the House is over in federal court trying to argue they should be able to get grand jury testimony and witness testimony from the one of the president's lawyers from the white house don mcgahn who was his white house counsel for a time because they're still pursuing impeachment on the muller report my guess is if pelosi can get away with it she'll keep uh, she'll perpetually impeach the president never sending articles over they'll just keep on the impeachment they'll keep They'll keep these articles on the shelf and just keep on with this impeachment coup process, adding more articles, expanding on the current articles, so they never really have to face any accountability in the Senate. Not that there's any real significant threat of that other than just stopping the process. This is a constitutional nightmare. It's an attack on the presidency. And God bless President Trump for being able to keep on doing his work. I mean, can you imagine how difficult it is to do your job while you're facing this terrible abuse? I'm glad he was able to take out the Iranian terrorist. Despite the distractions he's getting from uh, the coup cabal. And it's echo chamber in the media but don't you want the president to be able to do his job without unconstitutional distractions? Look, I understand politics is politics, but politics has to stop. You know, the politicians, there's nothing wrong with opposing the president on policy grounds, or if you have questions about corruption, raising those questions in legitimate ways through oversight and media uh, discussion. But to abuse your power to harass the president make it impossible or attempt to make it impossible for him to communicate with foreign leaders, freeze the ability of the Justice Department to pursue corruption investigations. So there are a few things I think the president can do here. He can, again, push for a mini-trial, a, a hearing, a preliminary hearing on the Shift Kukubal. He can, as what Judicial Watch has been trying to do, Start releasing documents, go on a transparency tear, release Ukraine documents, release Spygate, Russiagate smear documents, release Clinton email documents, expose what they're afraid of being exposed. For instance, Judicial Watch has sued over the issue of the firing of the Ukraine prosecutor That happened after Joe Biden, he was proud of it. He admitted. He said, I'm not going to give you this money, this billion dollars, unless you fire this prosecutor. And they did. So we asked about it and the State Department came to us just a few weeks ago and said, oh, we can't even begin searching for those documents. We can't complete the search until the end of January. So the State Department, the deep state there, is slow-rolling these documents about the corruption President Trump was concerned about. He should cut through, the cha- cut through the bureaucratic objections and just order the release of this material. And of course, he can appoint a special counsel to criminally investigate the issues that are pending. Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, Russiagate, you name it. I know Attorney General Barr and John Durham, the U.S. Attorney from Connecticut, are supposedly investigating some of this this Russiagate spying operation on the President that was obviously criminal in nature. But I don't know if they're doing a criminal investigation in a way that's going to result in the justice that the American people desire and I think our system demands. Can the Justice Department investigate itself? Can the FBI investigate itself? I don't know. Well, I say that sarcastically. I do know. It really can't. They really can't. I would suggest having a separate special counsel investigate what went on at the Justice Department and the FBI and these other agencies. Every time I read about John, what John Durham is doing, I see something about he's going to issue a report. Don't we have enough reports? There's news uh, recently, another group, um, a left-wing group, ironically, got some new documents about Andrew McCabe, where it, which documents how he admitted that he lied about his involvement in leaks. Well, you know, that's interesting, but the uh, that's all been known. In fact, he was referred for prosecution for his lies about that in April of 2018. We're coming up on two years, and the Justice Department's still figuring out whether to prosecute him or not. James Comey was referred for prosecution over his mishandling and lies of um, related to... Um, Uh, the memos he wrote about conversations he allegedly had with the President. He he basically leaked the President's FBI files. Barr's DOJ didn't want to prosecute him, even though the IG of all people referred to him for prosecution. So, I don't know, maybe there will be some significant prosecutions. It's not too late. Maybe they'll start up. Tomorrow they'll have grand juries and witnesses will start coming in, but I'm not aware of anything happening. And I've always uh, been a great believer, uh, and you know, Judicial Watch obviously advocates that the institutions of government do their job, but we don't rely on them to do their job. That's why we do our own lawsuits and our own investigations. And I think the president should take the same approach. He can't rely on the Senate to get justice. He can't rely on the Justice Department deep state and the corrupted FBI to get justice. He should be thinking outside the box as to what he can do to get justice as the nation's chief law enforcement officer. Now Judicial Watch has dozens as, as I say, you know, with the Biden lawsuit, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We have uh, probably over 50 lawsuits on the deep state issues. Uh, we just filed a half a dozen lawsuits on specific Ukraine-type scandal material. So we want the President to do the right thing. We want the Congress to do the right thing. We want the Justice Department and the FBI to do the right thing. But politics being politics and the swamp being the swamp, we're going to try to do what we know best to get justice for you and accountability and, importantly, to educate you and other Americans about what's really going on here. And along those lines, we filed a lawsuit. So everyone keeps on asking, where's the whistleblower? Where's the whistleblower? Well, we don't know if this person is a whistleblower. And I'm not going to mention his name. Why am I not going to mention his name? You can look it up, what his name supposedly is. But if I mention his name, YouTube will take this video down. Facebook will take this video down. Instagram, I think, will take this video down since it's owned by Facebook. The social media companies are engaged in a massive suppression and censorship of American citizens in order to protect the kookabal, because the kookabal has said that the alleged whistleblower that everyone believes to be the person about who we're suing about, to mention his name is is something that can't be done. This is a government official who was assigned to uh, the White House of Barack Obama and Donald Trump by the CIA. He was involved in Ukraine. He met with some of the key figures involved in the Ukraine scandals. And the evidence strongly suggests that he was the one who had talked to Adam Schiff's staff, his office, about the Ukraine phone call. And it's not clear whether he had the right to do that. The law suggests he didn't, whether he even had the right to know about the call, which was classified. Just because you have a security clearance, it doesn't mean that you get to be read in on everything that happens that's classified. If it's outside your silo, you don't get to hear about it. And it doesn't mean you get to, get, you get to talk, about, talk about it with Congress, even if you're pretending to be a whistleblower. So where's the whistleblower, everyone asks. What's he up to? Well, we think it's important to figure out what he's up to. So this is a significant government official whose name's been linked to to the impeachment of the President of the United States, and we're not allowed to mention his name. But we sued for his information. You can see his name in the lawsuit and our documents about it. If you're watching this on Facebook, by the way, they came to us last week and they told us we needed to change a Facebook post we had because the URL, the link, had, uh, so we said, you know, uh, if the link said, uh, you know, judicialwatch.org slash press release slash the name lawsuit, they said, well, you can't even link his, you can't even put his name in a link. So we had to change the link in order to keep the post up. That's how far the censorship is going. I mean, you think this coup is about the president? This coup is about you and your right under the First Amendment to talk about what a government official is doing and to mention his name. And these companies are doing it at the behest of politicians in Congress and under pressure from politicians in Congress. But it's not stopping Judicial Watch from pursuing information. And we filed two lawsuits, one against the CIA. It's a CIA guy, so we wanted his email communications for a narrow period of time from June of 2016 to November of 2019. So we want to figure out what he was up to. Of course, the CIA has given us the hand to the face, so we sued. This guy's also involved in the Russiagate smear operation, it looks like. He's mentioned in the Mueller report as uh, having information related to uh, the meeting between President Trump and um, Russia's foreign minister and the then ambassador to Russia. So many people think he may have been involved in leaks related to that. So we asked for the FBI to look at its files to see if they had communications with this guy between him and Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, McCabe, and the Mueller operation. again, hand to the face. There's a significant public interest, thanks to the Obama-Spygate scandal and the related abusive impeachment of President Trump, into what this guy was up to and he's documented to be involved in the Russia collusion investigation, was a key CIA operative in, on Ukraine, in both the Obama and Trump White Houses. And this is an unprecedented cover-up of this public official's activities, and our lawsuits are trying to break through that cover-up. Again, Senate isn't going to want to do this. The House is run by the kookabal. They're in league with protecting anyone who might even... forget about whether they're the actual leak or not, they don't want anyone who was involved in disseminating this classified call being held to account. And as I said, we found that this guy was meeting with key figures in the Ukraine issue, including those involved in potentially interfering in our elections in 2016, by having the Ukrainians leak and push anti Trump material. But we're not allowed to mention his name. But you know, if you are a regular follower of these issues, what his name is. So I, I don't, it's kind of a failed effort to suppress the truth. But if you write his name on your Facebook page or you talk about him on YouTube, you'll be censored. Thanks to the collaboration between those companies and Adam Schiff. So that's one of the things we're fighting. We've already been censored by YouTube once. And I'm not, and I, you know, we have to draw the line. I I don't like being censored. I don't like caving into censorship, but I want to get the information out generally. So we're gonna have to get around it. So incredible, incredible, incredible that we there are two incredible things. A, that this whole issue is being censored, and B, that it's only Judicial Watch who's doing the heavy lifting in getting, uh, trying to get the full truth about what the alleged shift leaker was up to. So other big news this week, and this has been a big week for Judicial Watch, is that we have, uh, corruption doesn't take a holiday, by the way, it never really takes a holiday. In fact, during holiday periods, you should read the news especially carefully because that's when the bureaucracy and, the, uh, and, and uh, to the degree the media is doing its job, that's when the uh, big news comes out that they don't want you to know about and they're hoping not many people notice it because it's over the holidays. Uh, but Judicial Watch, as you know, is, as, as is the nation's leader in trying to maintain free and fair and clean elections here in the United States. We promote voter ID. We promote clean elections. We promote the law and the enforcement of the law that requires states to take reasonable, ex, ex, uh, take reasonable efforts to clean up their voting rolls. Uh, we had the first private lawsuits. There's a law called the National Voter Registration Act. It was passed during the Clinton administration, and uh, the left was using it as a vehicle to register voters they think they should be, that should be voting because they thought that these voters would be voting for them. So they wanted states and localities to be required to register, make opportunities, give opportunities to individuals to register the vote at uh, places like DMVs and welfare offices and places like that. That's why it was called the Motor Voter Bill. When you get your driver's license, you may know uh, you, you, if you've done it in person recently, you always get the opportunity to register to vote. The pushback on that was is it was going to result in dirty election rolls because people were going to be registering to vote who were either ineligible or or registering to vote more than once because they'd be given multiple opportunities to vote. And that's why the deal was we're going to have this massive registration effort mandate on the states and localities, but we're also going to have a, a, a similar requirement that they have to take reasonable steps to make sure their voting rolls were being cleaned. Well, guess which part of the law was enforced by the left and their acolytes and their fronts in the Justice Department? the part where everyone gets to register to vote. Which, in theory, one can't object to enforcing the law. But the part about cleaning up the rolls was not enforced. In fact, it was undermined. Thankfully, the law allowed for private parties to come in and try to enforce it, and that's what Judicial Watch did. In 2012, we filed the first lawsuits by a private party against both Indiana and Ohio to make sure their rolls were being cleaned. And the analysis we brought to bear is, look at Ohio and Indiana. I don't remember the exact stats, but normally we went in and said, you've got more people on the rolls than are eligible to vote. You have over 100% of the eligible population on the rolls. That's a pretty good darn indication that you're not taking the reasonable steps necessary to clean up the rolls. Indiana changed its law. We were satisfied we ended the lawsuit. Ohio settled with us and agreed to take reasonable steps to clean up the rolls. The left hated that result and stepped in and tried to stop Ohio from doing that. And the Supreme Court said no, Ohio can do that. You know what Ohio wanted to do? Send a mailing out. Are you still there, voter X? And if they don't respond to that mailing, plus they don't vote in two Federal elections. They get removed. The left objected to that and the Supreme Court said, get out of here. It's perfectly appropriate. And that resulted in lawsuits that we had filed in California against Los Angeles County and the state of California. Los Angeles had 1.5 million extra names on the voting rolls it looks like. They called them, quote, inactive. California, I think, hadn't sent out one of these, quote, mailings or uh, actually hadn't cleaned their rolls in 20 years. So they saw the Supreme Court victory that upheld Judicial Watch's Ohio settlement. They saw the writing on the wall and they settled with Judicial Watch. And Los Angeles County has begun the process of removing one and a half million names from their rolls, it's going to take some time to p- complete it because I gave you the process. It, they have to wait two general election cycles. But in the meantime, names can be removed immediately, especially if they find dead names on the rolls they haven't removed. Another obviously ineligible people. The last time we looked, we looked at counties nationally. There are three and a half million names on the rolls who probably shouldn't have been there. And we just did an analysis, and now it's two and a half million. And you can bet that that drop in a million names is thanks to Judicial Watch's litigation. In fact, San Diego County, whose rolls were also a mess, they removed 500,000 names, it looks like, after we settled with Los Angeles County and the State of California who agreed to start notifying other counties, they need to start doing what the law requires. In Kentucky, Kentucky entered in a consent decree with Judicial Watch and the Justice Department, thankfully, they came in. Shows you what a change in leadership will do. Well, they're still way behind the eight ball on all of this. and There's a consent decree. And they're supposed to remove at least 250,000 names. It looks like 500,000 names eventually. So all that's going to take time. So uh, but we're not sitting on our duff waiting to see what else happens. We've done another analysis. There's been another round. it has been another election. 2008, what is it? 2018. There have been reports to the Federal Election Assistance Commission, which gives us registration data. There's census data out there. And we did an analysis, and we just announced this analysis. We looked at 378 counties nationwide, and there are, two, as I said, 2.5 million names in these counties where registration rates exceed 100%, meaning those names really need to be removed after this due process of law that I've been talking about. Thankfully, it's a drop of a million names, but we still have a long way to go. And what Judicial Watch has done is that we sent notice of violation letters to 19 large counties in, let's see, one, two, three, four, five states telling them you need to take steps to clean up your rolls. Otherwise, you may face a lawsuit. The states are Colorado. Colorado. Jefferson County, California, several counties of California, including San Diego County, which even after removing 500,000 inactive names, still has a registration rate of 117%. 117%. Meaning they have 17% more people on the rolls than are living there and eligible to vote. You know, most counties have registration rates of around. 77 percent. So when you're talking 117 percent you're talking a dirty, dirty set of rolls. One of the highest registration rates in the country. North Carolina, big county, Mecklenburg County, a disaster. Virginia, Fairfax County, big county, a disaster. Pennsylvania, Allegheny, Bucks, Chester County, Delaware County, disasters. Dirty voting rolls can mean dirty elections. And look, this is what I, and of course, when we go into court and when we raise these issues, we get attacked by the left that I am convinced once dirty election rolls, once dirty elections, because they want to be able to steal elections if necessary. Why else would they oppose voter ID? Why else would they oppose basic steps to take to clean up voter rolls? Why else would they oppose the very idea of asking citizens or asking people registering to vote to certify that they're citizens. I've done an analysis based on study, a study that was done out of Old Dominion. uh, 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 There's been an analysis, excuse me, uh, there's been a study out of Old Dominion University, several years old now. But when you extrapolate that analysis, you'll see that, just think about this, you have tens of millions of aliens in the United States, both legal and otherwise. And then from there on in, you can, from there on in, you can figure out through data analysis, how many of them are registering a vote, a percentage registered of the vote. And of those who register the vote, a certain percentage of them vote. And when one extrapolates that study, you can look, for instance, in 2018, It looks like maybe 900,000 people would have voted who were not eligible to vote because they were foreign nationals, both legal and illegal. Well, how do you fix that? You make sure that you certify citizenship when people register to vote. And you you hear the debate about voter ID, only 10 states have strong voter ID laws. 10, maybe 11, 10 or 11. Strong voter ID laws. 15 states, including Pennsylvania, California, here in the District of Columbia, Illinois, big states. They don't have any voter ID laws. And, those, and then there are states who have what I call weak to moderate voter ID laws, meaning what you think is voter ID to vote, which ought to be like a driver's license or something that's been validated in a serious way. You think that's necessary? No, that isn't. That isn't what those voter ID states require. Or many of them require you can show up with a utility bill, or you can vote and then come back later with some form of ID. As I said, much of which is weak. We got to have stronger voter ID laws in this country. The left opposes that all. Why would you be opposed to that? They say because they think it depresses turnout for minorities, but there's no evidence that's the case. There's simply no evidence that's the case. In fact, my view is, and the study suggests, that when you have increased election integrity, increased election security, reassuring people that their votes will count, everyone votes more, especially minorities. So it's, once again, it's up to Judicial Watch to do the heavy lifting on cleaning up the rolls. So this is the big takeaway, two and a half million dirty, dirty names, it looks like, on our nation's voting rolls. Judicial Watch has warned five states to clean up their rolls or they may face lawsuits. And these are not idle threats by Judicial Watch because we actually go into court and we've sued Four or five times on this very issue, and have gotten good results in terms of getting the rolls cleaned up. So, uh, can we guarantee these rolls will be clean for the 2020 elections? I don't know. I think even sending these letters out will begin rolls, will get rolls cleaned up almost immediately. So, as a result of our work, elections will be cleaner next year, and the election after. I mean, in 2020, and the election after that, and the election after that. It's a slow process, but no one's doing it but Judicial Watch, practically speaking. I can think of one other group that's doing this work. Some of our clients are obviously doing this work as well in California. The groups we're working with there. But nationally, it's Judicial Watch. I can think of um, maybe a half a dozen lawyers and individuals who are doing this work, most of whom work with us, versus untoward, I mean, unlimited resources by the left. It's David versus Goliath. Although nowadays, thanks to the support that you and others give to Judicial Watch, it's Goliath versus Goliath, Judicial Watch versus the left. At the state level, trying to enforce the law to clean up the rolls. So um, we've begun the process again. And uh, we want clean elections, and we want your vote to count, and no one else is doing that uh, like Judicial Watch is. So I encourage you to track this work. Uh, You can go to our website at judicialwatch.org to find out about this and all of our other lawsuits and investigations. And you can look at all the FOIA documents, all these Benghazi documents I've been talking about. They're all available on our website. And uh, if you're not supporting our work, you should be supporting our work. You can see why no one else is doing it. So thank you for joining us this week, and I'll see you next week on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org donate.